Psalm 50. Yahweh is not silent. There are those who are angry with God because he's not more vocal. If God is really there, then why doesn't he speak? Well, it isn't that God is not speaking. It is because people aren't listening. (laughs) Sort of what we get accused of on occasion, at least I do, from our wives. (laughs) Honey, you're not listening. (laughs) I'm talking, but you're not listening. But this is a lot more serious because we're talking about how he introduces himself as the mighty one, the almighty, the God of gods. And if he is speaking, then we as his creation should be listening. Seems as though all other parts of creation hear and respond to God. But man has a hearing problem. Psalm 50, the mighty one, the Lord The God, the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down out of Zion, the perfection of beauty. God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very temptuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house or goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and in all its fullness will I eat the flesh of bulls Or drink the blood of goats. Offer to God thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says. What right have you to declare my statutes? Or take my covenant in your mouth? Sing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? When you saw a thief, you consented with him. And have been partaker with the adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you've done, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. So Asaph, that priestly fellow and his companions, saw a different side 
because they're the ministers. And as pastors and leaders of the church, we see the church from a different vantage point than maybe the people who've never served in the ministry before. Not that it's a better perspective, it's just a different perspective. One of the things being in the ministry that we have to guard against is something that you do over and over and over again is become sort of rote and it loses its impact, its, its force that it should have in guiding you and directing you. You know, we, uh, years ago when we were, I was part of a, well, we call it a youth ministry. We reached out to the younger kids and things. And uh, as we begin to gather, we would take uh, communion every week. And one of the things I noticed um, was the specialness of it. Sort of went away. You'd, every time you take communion, you do it in remembrance of the Lord. Um, but it just be, it, be, it wasn't as impactful. And so um, that's one of the reasons that, uh, that I've chosen for us here to observe it once a month. Um, you're welcome to do that on your own <laughs> if you want to have communion more. Uh, than once, and there's nothing wrong. You know, on occasion we have it two or three times a month during the resurrection season and and all. So, uh, but just it's just one of those things when you do something religiously, uh, it can become ritualistic. And this is sort of what God and Asaph is bringing to the table here. He wants to present the the name of the Lord and the character of the Lord in a way that the people are not seeing as they're bringing sacrifices week in and week out to the tabernacle and to the temple and make making sacrifice and, and worship. It's uh, when you become ritualistic or uh, it's the next thing that follows usually is hypocrisy. You know, it's, it's you're not really worshiping God in spirit and it's not really having an effect in your life, so now you're just going through the motions. And then sin begins to creep into a person's life, and then we sort of know how we should be acting, but we're really not acting that way, so we start acting. And so this is sort of the downfall that can happen uh, when we get sort of used to doing something uh, and we don't do it in the right spirit. And this is one of the things I, I like about uh, what we do here in, in going through the scriptures, you know, we we were talking about divorce and and things on Sunday. Now we're talking about something that's totally like I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> of course, I didn't want to talk about divorce either, but <laughs> that's beside the point, right? You know, there's just subjects that you have to cover. There's the 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 cycle of life. There's the cycle of subjects that we need to hear and contemplate, and just. We find ourselves here at Psalm 50, uh, and it's and it's just an indictment against the Israel and their and the insincerity that the, had crept into the hearts and minds of the people. And um, God uh, is coming to them in a way that I don't think they expect expect Him to. Um, notice how the writer here says, "The Mighty One," uh, which is L. And God is Elohim. So El Elohim. And then Lord, you notice it's all caps there. And so that's Yahweh. So El Elohim Yahweh. I am that I am. The Almighty, the God of all gods. 
And so back in that era, they actually worshipped the angels, gods with the little g, who were ruling over the nations, these false gods who left their domain and forfeited and, uh, their responsibilities of ruling over the nations and bringing them to fear the Lord of lords. They took it for themselves. But this God, the God of Israel, is the God of gods. Notice that he says there, his voice. He's speaking from the rising of the sun to its going down. And there's a couple things that are implied there. It's God is speaking. God is working. When Jesus said, I work and my father works. My father's at work. Now, I wonder what he's doing. You know, <laughs> What is God doing? What is he so busy with? It's something that we can't see nor understand. But I think his main work is to try to keep people out of hell. It's amazing how hard God works at keeping people from hell. And there's people that still end up going there because he will not violate their will. But from the rising of the sun to its going down, so it's continuously this voice, and it's everywhere. There's nothing, no place a person can go. You can't hide from God, as David said, if I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the lowest parts of the earth, you're there. I mean, I'm not going to, nobody's going to escape God. The only place the person can escape God is hell. And that is the place that he's chosen. It was specially created for the angels, not man. And so that's the only place that a person can go to escape God. Notice here that it's out of Zion that God speaks. And this is one of the things that people have find. And here's why they find fault with God. They, they realize that God is sort of, they don't realize that God has sort of restricted himself on where his voice is heard. God's voice comes through the nation of Israel and eventually through the Messiah. He's spoken times past, as Hebrews 1 tells us, by the prophets. But in these last days, it's spoken to us by his son. If you really want to hear God's voice, and you want to know what God is saying, then you have to go to the source. Who are you? As he will sort of get on these unbelievers later on. Who are you to dictate to God how he should speak to you? But that's what people in their self-righteousness and their pride Think, think God should cater to them, that he should come to them on, in, in, in the manner that they choose. But the way that God has chosen is out of Zion. It is through the nation of Israel. It is through the law and the prophets. It is through the instrument of the priesthood that was established there, the tabernacle that was set up under David, uh, and then later on the temple with Solomon. But the perfection of beauty, completely beautiful setup. And then our God will shine forth. Think of, now here's, here's again, from, a, from Asaph, the priestly line, the, those that are in charge of the worship service, they can tell whether or not the people are, are with it, if you will. They can, you know, those who lead the worship, like, oh boy, rough, rough night or uh, rough morning, <laughs> depending on when we worship, ugh, you know, but you guys aren't like that. You guys are you're pretty intense. So so far so good, right? <laughs> but you can tell when we're we all have those moments when we're not on the mountaintop and we're we're down. Um, but there is a presence. It is His presence that we seek, and it's restricted when 
we as a congregation don't come with wholeheartedness and we begin to reduce coming to church or assembling together out of formalism, ritualism, and it's not really there for us. That's why, you know, I'm not legalistic about this, but you guys are the faithful remnant that come through the midweek and there are others who come regularly that, you know, it gets interrupted every now and then. But I don't understand if I'm called to a church, and I can say this because I've done this all my life as a Christian, if, and before I was a pastor, <laughs> I, when I made it a point to be in church as much as I could be because I wanted to seek the Lord. I wanted to know the Lord. Now, I don't understand the mindsets that, that is satisfied with once a week. I don't understand, and I surely don't understand once a month. I, you know, I'm speaking to the empty seats here, obviously, and maybe those who might be listening online. It is, it makes you wonder, and this psalm is so revealing in that you can see how the formality, well, it's, are we coming to church to salve our conscience? Well, I've, I know it's the right thing to do, but I really have so much to do. I should, oh, you know. And you hear these excuses, you think, wow. How about if God treats you the way you treat him? Ooh, ow. Yeah, yeah, that sort of brings a perspective. And so I think this is sort of what the psalmist is uh, saying to us here uh, in a roundabout way. Uh, God's presence God is the most beautiful of all persons. There's no one more beautiful, more awesome. I mean, look at the way <clears throat> his presence is described. A fire and a, te- a tempest. I mean, Asaph and the priestly uh, line experienced the Shekinah, the glory of God's presence, so intense on occasion, they couldn't even get near the holy place. It would drive them out. And when God comes into... Uh, in contact with his creation, the mountains shake. There's earthquakes. I mean, the magnitude of his being. You know, maybe that's why people don't come and assemble. They're afraid of God. (laughs) Well, the Israelites were. I can understand that. But but I don't think God wants us to to see him with that terror. Only if we're in rebellion, I suppose, it would be good if we saw him that way. But to experience God in his beauty, in his love. We sang about it tonight. There's nothing more intense that God has toward us than his love. And so his presence is awesome in a good way. And then, and he is, as he's saying here, he is calling, and I don't know how this quite works, but he's calling the heavens and the earth, he's calling the universe to testify against his people. Now, there's something to that. I mean, Jesus said on the day of the triumphant entry, which we call uh, Palm Sunday, when he came in there and people cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the priest said, tell them to stop that. That's messianic. Tell them to stop that. (laughs) Hey, look, fellas, if these people would hold their peace, the rocks would cry out. Now, do rocks talk? I don't know. Do trees talk? (laughs) How can the earth 
testify? How can the heavens testify? See, there's things that we don't quite understand. Maybe C.S. Lewis was on to something, right? <laughs> there's a, we, we have a, a nice sanitary view of everything, don't we? Because if we get outside that sanitary view about God, it's a little uncomfortable. Don't give me too much sci-fi, you know. You know, we just we need to open our minds to realize that God's creation is awesome and He communicates. How He communicates to the fish. I mean, He said, He, ordered, he told a, a whale or a very large fish to go pick up His straying prophet, Jonah. How did that happen? Don't eat Him, just just hold on to him for a little bit. Give him a sub ride. Take him down deep and we'll shake him up a little bit. Okay. How did that, you know, how did that conversation go? I don't know. Something happened there. God spoke to the fish. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, fish can hear. Why don't people hear, right? <laughs> Verses 7 through 15, we have him really speaking to really those that are still, they're believers, um, but he has, you know, these issues. Uh, of ritualism, uh, formalism, hypocrisy. And so he says, you know, hear, O my people. So it's very direct. I will speak. There's no ambiguity here. And they may not like what he has to say. I'll testify against you. I am Elohim, your God. He's not going to rebuke them for their sacrifices, for, for them coming to worship and being obedient to that. But he wants them to understand the meaning and the purpose behind it. And that's really what it comes down to. Is Now, I'm going to sort of go to the other side of the coin here when it comes to church attendance. If we go back a couple hundred years or plus, when our country was young, for example, did our pilgrim ancestors meet every Sunday and every Wednesday? Probably not. It, you know, if they lived out in the, we would call the boonies, <laughs> way, way out there, and you weren't driving 50 mile an hour on a nice paved highway to get there, horseback, and if you had children, it would be virtually impossible to travel 25 or 30 miles to the local church. If you made it there once a month, probably. But where, the point is, where is your relationship? What God is after is a true, vibrant, inner personal relationship with Him, a deep personal relationship. And if you're just if it's just an outward thing because, well, this is what the law requires, or this is what God wants for me, then it's you're not you're you're not connecting in the spirit, you're connecting in the mind out of the law. And what is the Father after? Jesus told us, didn't he? The Father seeks those who would worship in spirit and in truth. And that's true in the New Testament. It's true in the Old Testament. So the bulls, the goats, the wild beasts, the cattle, the birds, they all belong to God. So you're not really enriching God by bringing them back to him. You're doing it because this is what he's prescribed and this is the shadow and types and you know you need to have forgiveness. You know you can't approach God without sacrifice. And so he's commending them for their obedience, but not that they are giving it to him out of obligation. He doesn't need it. 
God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. As, we, as he said, if I was hungry, would I tell you? I don't need to do that. I'm self-sufficient. And so look at his the response. Here's, what we, here's our responsibilities. Give God thanks. It's pretty simple. Keep your commitments. As he says here in verse 14, pay your vows and pray. Call upon me. I'll deliver you. I'll help you. I'll love you. But give, be thankful. You know, it's easy to look at others and compare yourself to them and think, well, if God really loved me, then he would give me all the things that they have. I mean, we have to live in a materialistic world and somehow we think that is evidence of God's blessing. You know, it has nothing to... No, you can be blessed materially, but that is... That's a very narrow, shallow way. Your richness in your relationship with God is well, way beyond the materialism. If God blesses you with things, be careful to share what God's given to you. And be generous and be thankful. Use it to glorify Him. And so Yahweh is seeking this true relationship from the heart. Verses 16 through 23, he really lays it out. What he thinks about people who are insincere. Nine things are said that they're, they're deeply deep character issues. And, you, and here's the point. It is in our worship and drawing near God that we see ourselves and our character flaws and we break. If you're a humble person and you see the the weaknesses of your character that you're, and you understand your fallenness and you're in touch with your humanity, then you break and ask for mercy. And not, none of these things are present in your heart because you realize that that's rebellion. Notice the list here. It's, but to the wicked. And he, these are people within the nation. He's not looking at the gods, the people who are foreign, following the foreign gods. They're, they're, they're lost. They're totally lost. Here we have a nation that's been given the oracles of God, the laws and statutes and things to keep themselves from being defiled, to walk in holiness. They know what's clean and unclean. And, and, but he's saying to those who are coming to offer sacrifice, I mean, he just, boom. But to the wicked, those who are not walking with God, what right do you have to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? You hate instruction. Don't tell me what to do, you know. And cast my words behind you. The idea there is, you know, you just, when the words are given to you, it's just like you just throw them away. They're, they're of no value you do not find any value in the words and the instructions that God gives. In fact, is verse 18, you run with thieves and you go along with them, you partake with them, you fellowship with adulterers, you give your mouth to evil, your tongue frames deceit, you speak against your in this case, your brother, your Jewish brother. You slander your own mother's son. I mean, 
And the biggest mistake of all, you actually think that God is like you. Whoa. These are severe character issues. This is the blindness that sets in with hypocrisy, going through the motions and not letting it come in to change the heart. And God responds by a non-response. You know why God is silent to these people? See, it's really easy to misread the silence of God. He is speaking, but you're not listening. And He is not speaking to you in your sin because He's so patient. Hoping that as you continue down this path that the pain and the suffering and the sorrow that you're going to experience with these character flaws, that that pain and suffering will bring you to the reality that you are of what you are doing. You'll begin to see the error of your way. In fact, God's, and this is what I think judgment's going to be like in verse 21, the end of it. I will set them in order before your eyes. Who is the, um, the do you remember, is it Jet, was it the Chick Tracks? Jack Chick? What was his last name? Was it Chick? And uh, he had these very interesting, they weren't, some of them were a little off scripturally maybe, but they're pretty effective things you you know the guy's living his life is a little you know he dies and he's in hell and he's going through his life and he's seeing his life you know from one page to the next you know but it's in I remember distinctly the some of those pictures were acts of his in his within his life that were wrong and they were sins against God and he's re- recalling those things and I think this is sort of you know what's it going to be let's pull out the digital file here for your life and let's plug it in here on the screen, son, and here it is. Here's your life in 45 seconds. Wow. That's kind of... You know, if you realize that you're going to see yourself before God and He's going to show you your sin, it might have a way of shaping you up a little bit. Right? The idea is to put the fear of God in people. Now... How does that work in a Christian's life? Is sin judged differently in the life of a believer than the the life of an unbeliever? And I think it is. They'll be judged according to their works. We're going to be judged for our works. You know, so the idea of sin in the life of a believer should be dealt with and must be dealt with because it is the, the idea that if it's not dealt with, you will be less fruitful You'll, it will hinder you from accomplishing the purpose that God has intended for your life. You don't want to miss the opportunities that God is presenting to you because you're in sin. And so sin has, all sin does, well, all that it does, I mean, that's saying a lot. It renders us without rewards. It will hinder us from achieving all that God intended for us. You're getting ripped off if you let sin coexist without dealing with it in your life. all As I said Sunday, all failure should lead to brokenness in the life of a believer. Because for faithful service, and faithful obedience to Christ will be rewarded tremendously on the other side. I don't know that, I think 
God may set things in order before our eyes. This could have been yours if you would have. And there's, you know, I don't understand some of the scriptures, to be honest with you. Those who were faithful um, and did God's will will be rewarded. Those That servant who didn't, who knew his master's will but didn't do it will be beaten with more stripes than the guy who's more obedient. Hmm. You know, how does that, wait, does that, what does that really mean? That's something to think about. There is, a, in, in other words, we do know this. There's a consequence if we don't deal with sin in our lives. In the lives of these people that were coming in out of formality, they were blind to their own character flaws, and they were, they were not on track with God at all. Now consider this as he ends the psalm. You who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces. I mean, is that God speaking? I thought he was a God of love. I mean, where is the fear of the Lord in the church of Jesus Christ today? Do people fear the Lord like they should? Because to fear the Lord is to depart from evil. To fear the Lord is to humble ourselves before him and come before him. But verse 23 gives us all hope. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And look at this promise here. To him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. And so, again, looking through the eyes of a Levite, of the priestly, these people that are coming, many were sincere, many loved the Lord. Their sacrifices were given in sincerity. And the, and the people were glad that they had were God's people. But there was always that bunch of people who were insincere and just doing it for show only. And this is the way it, Jesus said it would be in the church, didn't he? You'll have the wheat mixed with the tares. The birds of the air come and land in, according to the parables, in the tree. So you're going to have saved and unsaved mixed, that that mixed multitude within the church. But God knows who the remnant are. He knows who the wheat are. And one day he'll call the angels and there'll be a time of separation. And maybe that's what we're going through now. We see this trying time that the world is in right now, not just the United States, but there's a, there's a divisive spirit, there's a controlling spirit from the enemy seeking to enslave humanity, trying to control humanity, silence the voices that would speak out against it. We are in a perilous place and those who love the Lord have discernment. They see what's going on and they don't appreciate it. Most of us who see what's going on fear and shudder if this continues on because we can see where this could end up could end up in persecution, could end up in incarceration for the believers. We'll be, as Paul said, we are sheep to the slaughter. I mean, there comes a point where, you know, if we don't take advantage of the window of opportunity to change things, they may not ever go back and be as they should be. And we, for example, have a, an example of Venezuela. 20 years ago, 
let's say 25 years ago, they were the most prosperous country in South America. And once they got in and the communists took over because they controlled the voting machines, we know this now to be true, those people have been in misery. They're eating out of garbage cans, that kind of stuff. It's just abject poverty that has stricken the nation. And, so the, and the voting is worthless. They, it, as Stalin said, I don't care who votes. I just care who counts the votes. And so that's how the, our country will be. If we don't get a handle on who counts the votes and the way things are counted, then that's our future. We already can see how, how this thing works. And, it, and, and as much as we may think this is simplistic, if my people who are called by my name will humble ourselves, turn from our wickedness, God will come and he will heal our land. He, that is the promise. But to the, to the casual inquirer who comes to church whenever they feel like, I have no wickedness. What do I need to repent for? They've been blinded. They don't understand. They're just going through the motions. They don't receive the words of God. They're not applying the words of God. So this is very applicable. Psalm 50. We have to be careful that we don't fall into this for show, this hypocritical act. God help us, right? And um, So strong words from Asaph in Psalm 50. Father, we thank you for your word, and we do pray, Lord, that um, we would not fall into that ditch. That is such a trap. Forgive us. Wash us. And Lord, if we even begin to move in that direction, even a little bit, we ask, Lord, that you would convict us and that you would steer us right back onto the right path. Keep us on the straight and narrow with you, Lord. We thank you for the warnings of your word. We thank you for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, most of all, that you've given us your spirit to strengthen us, to give us power, to, to, to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. We are your servants, Lord. We are slaves of righteousness. So fill each of us, Lord, with your spirit. Bless our time in prayer here tonight. Bless our fellowship, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.